neighbors. Thanks for dropping by our haunted home where we discuss true crime, the paranormal, and all things generally creepy. I'm Gracie. And I'm Stephanie. And we're your spooky neighbors. Did you know that the average person walks by at least 16 murderers in their lifetime? What? Nope. Nope. I didn't know that. Yeah. I found this on a subreddit called They Did the Math. (laughs) (laughs) R slash They Did the Math. Yeah. So, I mean, if you are interested in the math, I could skip the math part. Or if you actually want to hear to make it more legitimate. I mean, I trust Reddit and their math. I don't know math. Sometimes I don't trust Reddit, though. Oh, sometimes not. But a whole sub dedicated to it. There's going to be so many people fact-checking that, that you wouldn't... Absolutely. Redditors wouldn't make a mistake in front of other Redditors because the wrath. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so they just based it on the average lifespan of a human, which is about 71 years. Okay. If you're an alien, maybe longer. (laughs) The way I said that, human. (laughs) Human. Alien. We're going to go for humans in a human lifetime. You know, if you're a cat, you might walk by some murderers, a dog. You you never know. (laughs) We digress. We started playing this game uh, just this past weekend where we look around a room if it's filled with quite a bit of people and point out the sketchiest looking person that could be a murderer. Oh, that was so much fun. We did that at email night. Yeah, we, we, we did. <laughs> and this guy, he was like looking at you. <laughs> I, I don't know what you were doing. You were just like leaning back from the bar rail towards the music and your head was just, you were just super thrown back there. And he was literally just looking at your boobs. And <sighs> I mean, in a concert hall. <laughs> exactly. But so it was, it was I remember, a dude that was super tripped out. I remember the guy that you're talking about because yeah. he looked like he was on some shit that night. Yeah. And he we memed like, him too. In, in our group chat, we memed him. We didn't meme him for the internet, but... Yeah, we memed him. We did. We got yeah. it. Mm-hmm. There was evidence. Um, he, I'm sure he was... But he, he was the one. He I was, was going to say that he one. was nice. Like, I, I feel like I'm just, like, going to put that out there for people. Like, he was a nice person. I don't actually know that. He was just randomly staring at my boobs. So that isn't really the nicest person thing to do. <laughs> He was a little weird. Yeah. So (laughs) I love playing this game. Have you ever done this in a restaurant before? I used to do this. There was like this group of people hanging out, like an older group of gentlemen, maybe in their 60s. And I was just like, what if they are all meeting up like once a year, once every five years because of a murder they committed and they need to like reconvene (laughs) to make sure that nobody talked? (laughs) It's it's kind of like, I know what you did last summer. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen, we must reconnect. We must reconnect. You didn't talk, did you? Because I didn't. (laughs) And if you did, man, it's going down. (laughs) So I never knew that there was an actual statistic about this. So thank you, Reddit. Yes. What are our numbers? Did you say 16 people? Uh, Yeah, 16 murderers. Yeah, the United Nations of Drugs and Crimes reported in 2013 there are 6.6 killers out of every 100,000 people on average. The average lifespan is 71 years. If you meet an average of 10 new people per day and you live to that 71-year average, you'll meet about 260,000 people in your lifetime. Hold on. That's assuming that most people meet 10 new people a day. 
Yes. I also did the math. If you met one new person a day or just walked by one new person, if you're kind of antisocial, that it would be about roughly 25,000 if you just met one person or came across one person a day. That would be a quarter of a murderer in your lifetime. (laughs) One quarter (laughs) of a murderer. (laughs) So if you want to be a recluse to reduce your chances of walking by a potential murderer sometime in your life... Wow. (laughs) Oh, these are very interesting statistics because, like, it's so variable from person to person. Just, like, see that grand average. So, like, also, hold on. One more question. Where does the average come from that you meet 10 new people in a day? Is that, like... If you live in a city. Big cities. Like, 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 Grand Rapids, Detroit. walking by, like, taking the train or the bus or something like that. Oh, that's so interesting. And then they also say that in dreams, too, that they are usually people that you have seen before. So you could be dreaming about a murder in your dream as well. I Weird. just that's just a speculation of mine oh, just now. It's a really creepy one. Yeah. There could be something to that. You never know. So uh yeah, we just wanted to drop those little facts fun facts out there or scary fucking facts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it turns out our friend ran into the guy that we are talking about on this episode today. Random happenstance. Wow, I just found out about this like a day or two ago and it's like still blowing my mind because we originally recorded this episode like a couple of months ago, I think. Yeah, in June. Yeah, Yeah. so I've been like talking about it with some of my friends, right? That's just what you do. And this one friend came up to me. He was just like, oh, I actually saw that guy once. I'm like, what do you mean you saw this guy? He's like, yeah, he came to the bar when I was there one night and he was talking all this shit and getting all hot-headed, and he's just like, you don't know the things that I've done. And then my friend's buddies came up behind him and was just, like, backing him up, and then he just, like, got out of there and left because he, because yeah. he's a scared little bitch. Yeah, so this scared little bitch <laughs> that ran away from our friend at Stella's is named Brady Ostrike. He is the Michigan mm. Craigslist killer. Brady Fucking Ostrike. Yeah, we're going to, after, yeah, we're going to drop that little kind of timeline through at the end to give more details of what that moment yeah, was. I know, I'm so like, We're very curious. curious. We've been trying to pick this apart before recording this episode, so we are really excited to dive into this now. <laughs> it's given this episode a whole new life. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Brady Ostrike was born December 4, 1982, to a large, blended family and was the only boy between four children. His mother, described as protective, raised him in a conservative Christian household. Brady was homeschooled, though he periodically attended private schools. He lived a relatively normal childhood and was a fan of computer games and medieval history. After high school, he received technical training and became a supervisor. He was motivated to get ahead, but was willing to help others. He was involved at church and took mission trips to Haiti and Ukraine to help build schools and hospitals. He bought his first house in his early 20s. In 2005, Brady's friend Nicholas moved in with him. Nicholas described Brady as quiet and not the type of guy to approach others first. Brady pretty much only kept to himself and liked to work a lot and make a lot of money. In 2006, Brady and Nicholas's friend Timothy moved in. Nicholas and Timothy stayed upstairs in the house and recall Brady staying downstairs on his computer a lot, gaming and such, you know? Makes sense. Brady, according to his roommates, 
had bad body odor and did not clean up after himself. So we're in kind of typical kind of gamer yeah, territory. Also, he's a boy in the teenage, early 20s era at this point, I'm imagining. Yes, but we're talking stacks and stacks on pizza boxes in his basement, and he urinated in bottles in his computer room despite having a bathroom nearby. Dude, no, no, no. Just, just go fucking pee. Bottles? Ew, that's so gross. I just imagine, like, Mountain Dew bottles. There's an episode of Hoarders about somebody who peed in bottles. And oh my gosh. I'm just We're like, forever scarred on that. It's forever so bad. scarred. It's not okay. Not okay. Would not recommend. Bottles not are not for peeing into. Come on, guys. Use a toilet. It's um, not that hard. <laughs> yes. Uh, on this episode of Hoarders, stay tuned for the 400 plus items that police will confiscate from his house later. Woof. <laughs> yeah. His friends describe Brady as someone you wouldn't want to make mad. He didn't anger easily, but when he snapped, you would not want to be on the receiving end of his anger. Yikes. Everybody, including his family, knew he had a lot of weapons. He carried at least two guns at all times. Um, that's... One gun is enough. I mean... One gun is enough. One gun is more than enough. That is a foreshadow if I didn't see one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brady also had whips and chains in his house, which that could be explained. He liked the long ago battles of kings and queens and live action role playing games such as Dungeons and Dragons because hell yeah, but you do not want this guy as your dungeon master. Let us tell you. Did he also do LARPing? He did. He did all that stuff. He um, attended Renaissance fairs and reenactments, cosplayed. Did all the stuff. I mean, all of those so things it are makes super me re- cool. I know. It makes me really sad to see that uh, someone on this, like, beautiful, like, these are beautiful communities. We love these communities, and that is where our heart lies so much that it's so disheartening to see someone just snap and break and do the things that we will tell you about. Eh, snapping and breaking, that's like crimes of passion. No, I think what he did was much different. A buildup of... Mm, hatred things hatred well it's also like something that i think was in him yeah we'll get to that later but the extent in which he kept these weapons brady kept knives and loaded firearms throughout the house Uh uh-huh his roommate recalls brady being extremely paranoid to the point that he hid knives in the couch just in the couch. In the couch. Like you're going to sit down and get stabbed in the ass when you're going to come over and watch a movie? Uh, yeah, right? I just imagine like this little pin cushion kind Ew. of thing. No. A, a pin cushion of just knives. Uh, mm. That's unnecessary. But we, this is Brady fucking O-Strike. Yeah. Mm. One time, Brady accidentally fired a Desert Eagle .50 caliber handgun while waving the gun. The round passed through a kitchen wall and hit Nicholas's car, damaging the alternator. Wow. See, that's why you don't just, like, have random guns waving around. I would be so pissed. I hope he replaced that alternator. Probably not. Probably not. We're just going to throw that out there. (laughs) (laughs) Nicholas and Brady pushed the car into the garage. Brady turned out the lights. He saw a police car down the street. A little later, a neighbor came over and told him that he was going to kill somebody if he wasn't careful. Jeez. Later, Timothy asked Brady what he would have done if he accidentally shot him or Nicholas. And Brady's response, I would shoot the other one of you, 
and claim you went crazy and that I had to shoot you too. <sighs> wow. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. This guy. Yeah, this was not – okay, I take that back now. That was not a snap. This was a buildup. Mm-hmm. This was a buildup. He had the – he had the crazies in him. He had the crazies. Mm-hmm. He did. Yes. Or something. And the roommates were pretty much saying, fuck this, and left in 2007. Nicholas ended up moving across the street and brought his house key back to Brady. But Brady didn't need it because Brady had already changed all of the locks in the whole entire house. Oh, okay. They talked two, maybe three times in the next two years they lived across from each other. And other neighbors say they rarely saw Brady. Okay. So, you know, he was just He was a real shut-in. And he was just cooped up in his computer room with all his piss bottles. <laughs> Yikes. And pizza boxes. I could just imagine, like, cockroaches just... just, just Ooh, gross. Gross. He's that, he's that, dude. He's that kind of scum of the earth. So we are diving into some territory here where Brady is really paranoid and skeptic of people. And I was really curious to know, you know, what triggered him. Since his childhood and adolescence from all of this research checked out is pretty normal. But then I found some interviews that led down a whole new rabbit hole. Ooh. In 2006, Brady got engaged to a woman who lived in Canada when he was in his early to mid-20s. And they met one another while attending a Michigan Bible school. And here we're going to see that there are two sides to Brady, just as we're going to get two sides to his relationship with his fiancée. His family felt he was taken advantage of by women and, in interviews, called this woman a gold digger. Brady sent her money over their seven-year engagement so she could visit. He got her a $30,000 engagement ring. Bling, bling. Yeah, with diamonds and sapphires. And then, after that, she cleaned out all of his bank accounts and 401k, she kept the ring, and ended the engagement one month before their wedding. Wow. Ouch. Yeah. She also kind of dodged a bullet there. Uh, yeah, she did. In an interview with Brady's former fiance, she described her relationship with Brady as happy and normal. The relationship never involved any form of violence or hard feelings. She said the engagement was not working as they had hoped, and they simply ended things from there. The reason I really wanted to emphasize this engagement is because on one hand, you have the fiancé side that's saying, everything is fine. It just didn't work out. But then on the other hand, you have the family side that was saying that he was taken advantage of. So we are torn in two different directions here. So, like, why didn't it work out, though? We don't know. Right. So, like, anybody could say that for any reason. But, like, the whys are still there. I know. I'm curious. Yeah. Because seven years is a long time to be with someone and have all your hard-earned money because he was just working and working and working and working. Yeah, and she just kind of, like, scooped it all up and just been like, oh, no, it didn't work out. But all of this is mine, even though it's not because you weren't married. Yeah. She kind of robbed him blind, it sounds like. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. If those stories are true. She stole his 401k? How is that even possible? That must have taken some shysty, sneaky things. Either that or the family is kind of fabricating this a little bit more and mm-hmm. saying like, oh, yeah, she did this and this and that Oh, when she didn't. 
because maybe they just didn't like her for some reason. Maybe I'm kind of getting that idea. I'm yeah. getting the gist that they didn't really like her. And it would have been easy to blame that. Maybe he didn't have a 401k because he was too obsessed playing video games that he never <laughs> set one up. If you, if you play video games and have a 401k, you are living the life. Doing up. You smart, <laughs> smart people have 401ks. I'm not one of them. <laughs> I stopped contributing to mine because I can't afford it. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Retirement is like a mythical unicorn. Oh, definitely. Walking in this day and age. Like retirement, you're just like, wow. Retire? Mm. Wow, look at you. Not not for me. So majestic and beautiful. You just live your life to the fullest. I'm probably not. No. I mean, I'm a hairstylist. I am a lifelong hairstylist. There is no stopping until the day I hit the ground. (laughs) For good. (laughs) I mean, I've hit the ground many times, but for good. As an artist writer and currently receptionist, same. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to keep on going. (laughs) All of this, I feel like, is the tip of the iceberg of all the events that are about to follow, considering... His relationships with past roommates and fiancé and family, it's all kind of bubbling right now. So Brady and his fiancé split in 2013. I couldn't get the exact timeline info, but it must have been somewhere around 2012 that he had a new roommate, Rachel, move in. My guess is his fiancé was still in Canada at the time, since he was still sending her money to visit. So in this moment, it's 2012, and we're getting Rachel's side, and she recalls the mental issues and dark thoughts Brady was having. His behavior had become increasingly paranoid, and he placed birdhouses all around the house with tiny cameras in them. Hmm. That's suspicious. That's kind of creepy. I think of a little cuckoo clock that goes cuckoo, and it's like a security camera instead. Oh, yikes. (laughs) That's a mental picture. (laughs) If that paints any picture for anyone. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. (laughs) It's Brady. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He described the bad dreams and dark, disturbing thoughts he was having. His roommate, Rachel, wasn't frightened by him until one day he confessed to her that he was having thoughts on killing her and that he was just simply warning her. Uh, yikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me she got out. Yes. Uh, after that confrontation, Rachel prepared to move out and encouraged Brady to seek help from a mental health professional. That's really, that's good. Some claps to you. That is amazing, Rachel. That is great. And did he get the mental health help? Uh, Well, he told Rachel that he studied it and he believed that he was schizophrenic. So he kind of self-diagnosed himself there. Oh. Brady said that he was terrified of people finding out about his mental state. So he tried to hide it from friends and family. Ultimately, he was really scared of losing his job, his position, and his standing with workmates. So that's, you know... With mental health, that's kind of a oh, it's that such, area. It's such a gray area. Oh, that sucks, though, because we're, like, in an era where it's becoming more and more accepted to, you know, work on whatever it is that you need to work on in a mental health, where it's not just like, yeah. oh, we're going to fire you for that. What were they going to do? Fire him for it? But probably exactly. treat him differently. Exactly. Yeah. But now, I mean, this is 2012, so we're almost a decade past this time. Oh, wow. That's Isn't that weird interesting to think about? timeline to think about. Feels like just at... yesterday was 2012. Yeah. Wow. I think we're getting old. Oh, my gosh. This is something that our parents would say, wouldn't it? It would seems like just yesterday. Oh, dear. 
Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's happening. After the split with his fiance and after Rachel moves out, we move into 2013 and 2014 when Brady is working as a lineman for a power company. In his free time, guess what he's doing? What's he doing? Looking for female companions on Craigslist. Okay. Okay. We're in this era. So he finds one who will remain unnamed in the story, but we'll go ahead and call her Jenny so these names don't get mixed up. Jenny placed a personal ad looking for friendship and sex. She also described sexual activity that was blacked out on police reports. Brady responded to her ad within an hour. She received 27 other inquiries, but for whatever reason, Brady caught her eye. Interesting. Jenny and Brady shared emails and telephone numbers. She told Brady she lived in cold water but wanted to move. Brady said she could move in with him. Wow, that's something that you ask after a first, you know, While you're just messaging through Craigslist? Yeah. Can I move in with you, stranger, on the internet? Um, yeah, no. Hmm. No, no. In mid-May 2014, he drove to Coldwater. He asked if she wanted to ride back in his suitcase. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a leap. Yeah, want to ride back in my suitcase? Mm. No, thanks. Nope, I don't. Okay, yeah, yeah. But she must have said yeah. Uh, she found, yeah, she found this request very strange, but she thought it was part of a kinky sexual act, so she agreed to it. Okay. After two hours, the car stopped. Jenny believed Brady drugged her. He opened the zipper and sprayed something into the suitcase. She was groggy. He carried her into the suitcase, into his house, and asked her to be his sex slave. And then asked her. Or just, like, forced her into it. Yep, he just, forced like, her into it. chained her up and was just like, you mind now? Yep, that is what happened. Oh, girl. She saw several security cameras, including one in the bathroom. He told her the cameras were for security and that he was paranoid. He showed her a gun. He put it to her head and put a metal chain attached to the basement floor around her neck. Ooh. She agreed to his demand that they had sex, but he ignored her requests to stop. She said the living conditions inside the home were horrible. The kitchen was messy with expired food in the refrigerator. Sticky floors were covered with piles of clothes. She spent two days making it livable. Yeah, so not only is she just a sex slave, she's just a legitimate... House slave, too? House slave, too, yeah. Wow, that's great. So... Yeah, forced to sexual encounters and also forced to clean the house. Yeah. This, like, nasty pizza box, piss bottle infested dungeon. Yeah, we have a lot. That sounds like hell. Yeah. We have a lot of pictures to show of how disgusting this place is. Ew. Yeah, so when Brady left for work, he would chain her by the neck. Once when she said she was sick and asked him not to chain her up, he shocked her with a stun gun. He held the taser on her for 20 seconds. Jesus, come on. According to what she told police later on, this was his ultimate fantasy. Shocking somebody with a stun gun? Yeah, and she said she feared for her life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could ultimately kill somebody, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that could stop your heart. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, um, so then eventually, on June 19, 2014, 
Jenny was free to call 911, but instead she escaped and went to a domestic violence shelter for a week and refused all contact with Brady. Somehow, he got a hold of Jenny to meet him for lunch, and he ended up sweet-talking to her to move back into his home. Oh, my God. It's like Stockholm Syndrome, right? Yeah, this definitely is. Ooh, how long had she been there in the first, like, that first round? In that first round? Um, I think a couple of months. Ooh. Yeah. That's a long time. Way too long. In police reports, Jenny described a sweet side that Brady could portray and believed the two had a strong relationship, which includes sexual-type bondage role-playing. She described Brady as a gun addict, and on several occasions, he showed her multiple guns and even threatened to kill her multiple times. Oh, my God. Jenny told police she met his parents. (laughs) What? And they had Sunday dinners with them at Golden Corral Restaurant. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Yeah. Hey, Mom and Dad. Want to meet the woman I have chained in my basement? Oh, this is bad. Yeah. This is so yeah. bad. Yeah, and so, the, yeah, the parents never visited his home. And Jenny said that he kept a sex room in the basement. When she did not listen to him, she was forced to sleep in a locked wire dog kennel. Oh, my God. That's awful. Jenny left at the end of the month. Brady beat her badly, punching, kicking, whipping her, but did not lock her up. She told police about the assault, but did not want to pursue criminal charges. But she did raise concerns for police after reporting that he had children's books and sippy cups in his home. Ew. Why? There is no reason for him to have any of that. It could be a thing of role-playing. Ooh, I hate it. I hate it. I know. I, I, I hate it, too. But I'm just saying to not to justify anything, but just to try to make some kind of connections here to show right. his well, mentality. Like, it was there. It was there. I just, yeah, it's yeah. there and I hate it. Yeah. After Jenny escaped, Brady's behavior took a darker turn. So right around the time that she escaped, this was around the end of June 2014, which means less than a week later, Brady was looking for a new female companion when he came across 18-year-old Brooke Slocum's post on... Craigslist. Before we get into the actual message exchange, I just wanted to talk a little bit about who Brooke is. Her father, Greg Slocum, describes Brooke as a trusting and caring person who had a lot of faith in humanity. An example of Brooke's selflessness was her reaction to the homeless living on the streets of Grand Rapids. She went out and held a sign saying she was homeless. She ended up making $75 in an hour and ended up giving the money to one of the homeless people who really needed it, hoping it would get them off of the street for a night. Aww. Another time, she started packing lunches for people living on the street, even when she could barely afford to feed herself. That's so sweet. Just like, here's a bag lunch for you. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And also, Brooke was deeply impacted by the divorce of her parents and had her typical teenage battles over personal choices. Who doesn't? Yeah, as as we all do, in our own way. Her father learned Brooke was meeting men online and repeatedly warned her of the dangers of connecting with strangers over the internet. He dealt with bad people before and told her that her actions could land her in a horrible situation. <sighs> a stern conversation about safety followed after her father learned Brooke snuck out of the house and was found in the city with an older man. From his words, quote, I think she just wanted to prove her daddy wrong, that these people were nice, he said. I did my best, and it still didn't work out. 
Her father said Brooke was exposed to a lot once she moved from Saranac and into Grand Rapids at age 17, but she had her dreams and wanted nothing more to start a family and have a baby. It was after that move Brooke met her boyfriend, Charles Openier, at Ionia County Fair in 2013. They dated for about a year, spending most of their time together and rarely going out with friends. One of Brooke's friends described her as very loving and sociable when her boyfriend, Charles, wasn't around. When Charles was around, Brooke told this friend not to talk or look at Charles. The friend says Charles was very controlling. Brooke's father said Brooke was willing to do whatever it took to keep her family together. He said she did some pretty unspeakable things for him that she thought was out of love. Mm, Like what kind of unspeakable things? Brooke's father and her friends believe that she was a victim of trafficking. Oh. And that Charles was pimping her out for cash. Oh. Her friend, when asked if Charles was pimping her out, said, quote, yeah, I do. I don't feel like she wanted to. She felt like she had to because Charlie was talking her into it for the money. Another friend said that meeting men online for sex in exchange for cash was something she did before her 18th birthday. Ooh, that's underage. That is. That's illegal. Keeping in mind that Brooke met Charles before she turned 18 and he was 25. Also, Brooke and Charles were living in a car, and at night when it got really cold out because it's Michigan, they couldn't afford to keep the car running, so they had to get a hotel room. There is no money for the hotel room, so the easiest way for them to get the money was to keep doing what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, her and Charles became pregnant with their unborn daughter named Audie. So at this point in the timeline, they're about eight months pregnant with Audie, and they found themselves in a tight spot for cash. In a desperate attempt to make a little extra money to get by, Brooke wrote a post on Craigslist on July 2nd, 2014. I need $50 by 3.30 p.m. today. I can pay you back later tonight, but I need gas and some meds quick. Everyone has bronchitis in my house, and I don't want to get sick. I'm eight months pregnant, and my lungs are squished as is. If you could help me out, me and my daughter will greatly appreciate it. Ten days later, on Saturday, July 12th, 2014, Brady Ostrike replied under the name Mike's Hard. Ew. I hate that so much. And suggested exchanging the cash for sex. He said, I can host. What are you thinking? And ten minutes later, Brick replied, um, well, we're kind of looking for donations if possible. We're in a tight spot and have a baby on the way. As far as the fun goes, though, there won't be any male-on-male action. Brady later replied that he can swing $120 and offered to give the couple a ride. Brooke replied, no, we can travel, just can't host us all. When and where would you like to meet up? And he said, I'd like to blank, insert sexual activity here, Mm -hmm. in a park around 1130. That okay? And the records show Brooke was hesitant about meeting at the park, and she replied, Hmm, I don't know. I don't want to get in any trouble or anything for indecent exposure. I can't go to jail being eight months pregnant. But Brady assured her, it's cop-free. Later, they agreed to meet at midnight in Gazan Park in Wyoming, Michigan. Brooke and Charles are last seen leaving her apartment that night by Brooke's roommates. 
The next morning, on Sunday, July 13th, a woman reported spotting a man in a white mask looking into vehicles near Gazan Park. An officer began investigating and finds Charles' car parked in Gazan Park. The officer checked to see if it had been stolen, but no alert turned up. The officer returned two days later on July 15th, and the car was still there. Ooh, two days. Two days, yep. Mm. Early on July 16th, the officer requested that the Kent County Sheriff's Department attempt to locate Charles at his parents' home, which was listed on the registration. The officer learned that Charles did not live with his parents at the time, and they did not know where he was at that time. The police officer walked the trail in a wooded area, then marked the vehicle as abandoned. Early that morning, police contacted Charles' employer, and we're told that he had not reported for work. Around 11.30 a.m. on July 16th, police searched the wooded area of the park and found a headless body covered in sticks. Ooh. Headless? Yeah, headless. Ah, yikes. Over the next four hours, investigators were able to determine that Charles had a girlfriend, Brooks Locum. At that time, investigators did not know what involvement, if any, that Brooke had with Charles' death. Investigators worked to locate an address in Grand Rapids where Brooke was living. After speaking with her roommates and learning that she was last seen with Charles late Saturday night, a search warrant was obtained and executed approximately at 8 p.m. that night. One of the items obtained in the search was Brooke's laptop computer. Meanwhile, police conducted an extensive search at Gazan Park for Brooke and her boyfriend's head using police tracking dogs and a helicopter. Uh-huh. But what police didn't know at this time is that Brooke is in handcuffs with a chain around her neck and her arms hooked through a pulley system suspended from the ceiling in Brady's basement. Ooh. Oh, God, that's awful. That's so bad. Just to be, like, suspended like that from your neck and your arms? I know. Ooh. I can't imagine. Oh, my God. That's so bad. That's so bad. It's horrible that the last moments of her life were just pure torture. Early July 17th, the State Police Internet Crimes Against Children Unit in Rockford began analyzing Brooke's computer. Around 4 p.m., the ICAC provided a lead which led police to send emergency requests to Google for information. Google did not respond to the request, but ICAC, within an hour, provided police with Brady Ostrike's name and address. Detectives began surveillance at Brady's home while others sought search warrants. Police did not have enough evidence for an arrest warrant. Tactical teams were set up within view of Brady's home because Brady was known to keep assault-style weapons in his house. Oh, yep. Of course he was because he had two guns on him at all times. At all times. Ugh. Gross. Eventually, Brady left his home at 9 p.m. with a suitcase. He stuffed it into the trunk of his car, and then he started driving. The police followed and attempted to pull his car over. He stopped initially when police conducted a high-risk traffic stop on Burton Street Southwest, just east of Burlingame Avenue. But then he fleed and it turned into a high-speed chase through the city until he crashed into a cement barrier on the corner of the entrance ramp to the highway. Um, Off of Burton Street? 
Yes. Yeah. Right oh, around my there. God. Okay. Rather than being taken into custody and stand trial for his crimes, Brady pulled a pistol from his glove box and shot himself in the head. <sighs> Dude, are you fucking kidding me? He just, like, took away all of the chances that anybody would have had for justice. And just, like, snatched it up and took the easy way out. Yeah, remember that foreshadow? It's, well, it, it's here and now. What a, what what a, a little bitch. piece I of know. shit. Oh, he's a disgusting human being. I hate him. Trash. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Coincidentally, on the same day, Brady was supposed to fly to Las Vegas to meet another woman he met on a fetish site. And he canceled his flight the day before. <sighs> The police searched the trunk of his car and ended up finding Brooke's body in the suitcase, and her unborn baby, Audie, did not survive. The police searched Brady's home and closed off the street for several days. They ended up confiscating more than 400 items from his home, including guns, knives, and medieval period weapons, along with a ton of other fucked up shit. (laughs) Like piss bottles? Yeah. Gross. They also found bloody clothing in the washing machine. Oh. And they also found guns and ammunition everywhere. Oh, my God. And swords, a medieval mask and chainmail gloves, handcuffs, medical gloves, and syringes. Hmm. That's kind of curious. Syringes? Syringes? I know. I know. What? I mean, he did... Okay, so, like, the girl from before, he, like, sprayed something into the suitcase before he brought her into the house. What can you spray into a suitcase? Because chloroform... I don't know. The only thing I can... Yeah. The only thing I can think of is that scene from Mad Max (laughs) where they, like, spray stuff on their mouth that makes it look all silver, and then they're like, Tuvalhalla! Where it's, like, an amping up thing, but this is, like, the opposite of that. Yeah, and syringes. The syringes, yeah. Okay, so... I don't know. He was pre- maybe he was like preemptively getting ready to do something with syringes because he was used to like drugging people in some kind of way with whatever that spray was that he used on the girl from before. But I don't know. Yeah, I know that police reports are detailed, but I'm that person that likes all the details. Like, were they diabetic syringes, needles? Like, like what kind of syringes? <laughs> what like what kind of syringes were they? Can you please? <laughs> we need more details of those details, please. <laughs> Ah, man, I would love to be a crime scene investigator, like, in forensics. I would love forensics so much if I ever that, no. Same. Yeah, it's that inner Mm -hmm. detail, Virgo, like, okay. It's the inner Dexter. (laughs) (laughs) And also just, um, like, okay, how did this blood splatter against the wall? You can tell that she was struck this way or that way. Right. That stuff is so fascinating. And that's why we're doing this podcast, because it's fascinating. Not because we're Dexter. Not because we're Dexter. We're we're not. Please rule us out. Thank you. Yeah, and there were also knives, a rusty axe, and cable cutters. Next to some swords on a rack was a cattle prod and a couple of whips. Ew, a cattle prod. No. Oh, yeah, and to get more progressively fucked up, a baby doll with a noose around its neck. No, no, no. Mm-mm. And also, something that I found to be really curious was several suitcases filled with women's clothing, which I'll get into a little bit later. Weird. Yeah. They also found sex toys and, you know, a pacifier just casually chilling next to a sex toy on the bathroom counter, a sippy cup on the floor of one room, 
In another room, adult diapers spilling out of a small trash bin. Oh, my God. Okay, so the piss bottles weren't enough. He needed adult diapers at this point. Yeah. Jesus. I, I think he was an adult baby. Oh, yeah. I, that was, like, the vibe that I was kind of getting. I Yeah. After seeing his picture, I think he does look like an adult baby. <laughs> and, you know, he's kind of a baby for taking the easy way out and not facing the, you know. Mm, not facing his consequences. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Wimp. Oh, there was also another thing that I saw in a photo on the evidence that he had. It was like some kind of uh, baby shit next to a Captain Underpants novel. Baby shit. Like, so baby's clothing? No, no. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I said baby shit. <laughs> like baby's toys? I'm going to restart that. Um, I was looking at some photos of all these crime scenes, and there was a Captain Underpants novel. So if that tells you anything about his character, if he's reading this as an adult, perhaps. Interesting. I mean, I liked Captain Underpants when I was a small child. I had a journal. I had a Prima Ballerina sign at once. Whatever. (laughs) That's my own fandom. But I got out of that when I was like 10 yeah, when you're 10. <laughs> but when, you know, you're like in your 30s, why would you keep that? That's weird. That's really weird. Okay. They um, also uh, found a sex slave contract. A, like a written up contract? Yeah, a written up contract. What? Yeah. And in a food cabinet, there were several pages of notebook paper with words, Obey and please my master. Pleasure, I must earn it, and repeated mentions of the word master. Ew. Oh. There were poems taped to a mirror. One of them read, pain helps us learn, pleasure helps us forget. Pain helps us think, pleasure kills the mind. Pain builds comradeship. Pleasure destroys it. People don't desire pain. People desire pleasure. Hmm. And I kind of love you know all the handwritten notes of killers because graphology is a whole nother thing in itself that we'll discuss another time but poetry from killers you're really diving into the mind especially when it's handwritten so i did a little bit of dissecting oh what did you find yeah let me know what you think so pain is paired with positives here pain helps us learn helps us think builds comradeship And pleasure is paired with disputes to that. Pleasure helps us forget, kills the mind. Pleasure destroys comradeship. Okay, so I read somewhere that framing pain as a positive rather than a negative can help people better manage pain. But Brady argues that people don't desire pain, which in this instance is overcoming and managing pain. He says people desire pleasure. And pleasure, as a negative connotation, relates to hedonism and self-indulgence. What does that mean? So hedonism, in this sense, plays a role in terms of seeking out pleasure. Psychological or motivational hedonism claims that our behavior is determined by desires to increase pleasure and to decrease pain. The hedonism, in this sense, is um, all the sexual relationships that he was having with these women. And indulging into, you know, going on Craigslist, meeting these people, Uh just that life of indulging in video games and sex and pleasure, etc. But deep down, he was feeling pain. Ah, okay. A lot of pain. 
And so he was pairing, you know, the opposites of negatives with positives and vice versa. Mm, interesting. Okay. That was what I was getting from it a little bit. And in the case of this story, this correlates to the downfall of Brady's seven-year engagement and seeking out female comrades for pleasure, which was maybe to forget and not acknowledge the pain that he was feeling. They also found another poem that was crossed out with the word dead written over it in red ink. So, you know, he could just be a psycho. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to side with that one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I have no idea how Brady got a hold of these documents, but police found some court documents with Charles Openier's name on them. Interesting. I know. That is really weird. And then there was more concern that was raised for the case when police found a map of the U.S. hanging on Brady's wall decorated with pushpins, four of which were covered over in West Michigan. Wyoming Police Chief Carmody found this incredibly bizarre because they knew that Brady traveled, so they wanted to make sure they covered all their bases to see if someone that had traveled all across the country committed similar acts. The FBI ended up getting involved for further investigation, and they found no evidence to indicate that Brady's criminal behavior reached beyond West Michigan. He's just just a Michigan man. Just a Michigan man. <sighs> well, at least we don't have to worry about him anymore. Yeah. But still, that was, like, kind of really weird. Um, apparently, Brady had told a one-time girlfriend that the pins represented locations where he had stored food and supplies in the event of an apocalypse. Hmm. So we, I'm not surprised by that. That I know. definitely seems like something yeah, he would I do know. with all the <laughs> weird stuff that he did. Yeah, it it, <laughs> it really it really does. Yeah. Did they ever dig it up or follow the pins? That would be a really good follow up. Ooh. That'd be a really good follow up. Wow. If anybody finds out. I would kind of love it. Hmm. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm deviating from the story and I'm just thinking like, I want to go and research this right Interesting. now. Interesting question. Let us know mm. if you have any leads on that. But for now, we'll continue. So we know it's pretty obvious that Brady committed the murder despite him taking the easy way out and not having a traditional trial. But here's the real evidence that police found. Flash drives, discs, and tapes scattered around the house and a receipt from the afternoon of July 13th for a $23 shackle lock. Oh. And the footage from all the security cameras that Brady kept in his house. Because remember that little detail? He had all the little birdhouses with all the little cameras. So many So he was recording himself the whole time. And this footage is online. I don't want to see it. I felt sick. You I watched it? So, yeah, I watched it. <gasps> I watched every little bit of it. Was there, like, the murder and everything? No, absolutely not. They would not oh. put that on there for the families. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what I was like. You said everything, Ooh, yeah. and I'm just like, what the oh, fuck? No. Oh, no. I probably <laughs> made that sound. No, I. it felt like so much. Literally, they ended up getting this footage from his own fucking phone because these videos were getting sent to his phone. Oh. And here's the timeline. On Wednesday, July 2nd, 2014, we know that Brooke posted an ad on Craigslist. Okay, so then Saturday, July 5th, 2014, footage shows Brady is in the basement, hanging ropes from the ceiling. He also holds a whip. At one point, he walks by with a chain and padlock. Later, he carries another chain. He cleans up a dog crate. He lays out undergarments. 
Another video, timestamp 11 p.m. on Saturday, July 12, 2014, shows him fully dressed, milling about his basement and bathroom, which this was one hour before he met up with Brooke and Charles at Gazan Park. Oh, he was preparing for this. Yeah, he was. Oh, my God. So before he even said anything on the post, he was preparing, and then he messaged her. Wow. This next portion, uh, the videos are not released to the public, and the police had to sit through and watch them. No. Like, and all of those disgusting details? Uh, Yeah, the disgusting details. Uh, After murdering Charles, Brady comes back to his home with Brooke. For five days, Brooke is kept in a dog crate, forced to smoke marijuana, which, keeping in mind, she is eight months pregnant. Five days. Five days. Five long, agonizing, torturous days. Yeah. Oh, no. In a dog crate. Eight months pregnant. I highly doubt he's giving her any food, too, and he's... just fill in the blanks. He's committing awful crimes. Crimes. Yeah. Against humanity. Uh, yeah. Uh, the police reports say that he videotaped much of his assault on her. Uh, and it appeared he had convinced her that Charles was still alive. That's the worst part to me personally is knowing that you're going through this torture and that the person you love, that is the father of your child, is still alive and out gosh. there and that there is a chance that he could just come through the door any minute and save you from this. And that just makes me think, like, what happened in the park where she doesn't know what happened? Like, his body was found there. Yeah. So, like, we don't know what happened at the park specifically. Mm-hmm. But she is still left thinking that he's alive, and he is not. He's not. Mm. The last tape ends just before 1 p.m. on Thursday, July 17th, and shows that Brooke, at this point, is still alive. Brooke's autopsy report shows that she died of ligature strangulation with a rope or strap before her body was stuffed into a suitcase. In the following days and weeks, police recovered a video file from Brady's DVR where Brady made Brooke give a statement that they were only role-playing so that she could have a true abduction, kidnapping, and ransom type of experience. But that's not what she was looking for. No, she was just looking for money. She just wanted medicine so she didn't get bronchitis while being pregnant. Oh, no. Yeah. And fast forwarding. Consent is a real thing, people. Like, you don't just assume people want all sorts of weird shit if you don't ask them first. Yeah, and not force them to sign contracts as well. No. Mm -mm. That's bad news. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're fast forwarding five years after the murder. Her boyfriend's head was never found for the longest time, right? So he was decapitated and his headless body was found in the park. And as far as anybody knows, for a very long time, there is no head to be recovered until... Fast forwarding five years later. And a hunter in Alpine Township was searching in a wooded area for deer antlers on March 24, 2019. And instead, he finds a human skull. The skeletal remains were examined by the Kent County Medical Examiner, Dr. Joseph Hefner, and members of Michigan State University Department of Anthropology. They confirmed through dental records that this skull belonged to Charles Oppenier. According to investigators, the signs of trauma to the skull and evidence from 2014 investigation both indicate a probable gunshot wound was the cause of Charles' death. We have a head, people. 
finally, it has come back to us. Brooke's father always knew that his daughter was quick to help others, but it wasn't until after her funeral that a few of her peers told him that she'd talked them out of committing suicide or had stood by them when they felt like no one cared. Aw, Brooke. I know! Brooke's kindness inspires her dad to look out for people who need a helping hand. The family honored Brooke Slocum's giving spirit by organizing a stuffed animal drive to benefit Helen DeVos Children's Hospital. They donated the toys on what would have been Audie's birthday. And thousands, I know, and thousands of dollars in donations remaining after funeral expenses allowed the family to donate to community libraries, a scholarship fund in Brooke's name, and the Grand Rapids-based nonprofit Women at Risk International. Oh my gosh, the whole the whole thing? Yes. <gasps> That's amazing. I know actually a little bit about Women at Risk, also known as War. War. <laughs> I love it. War. Yes. Ah, oh, this yeah, that's such an amazing organization that help women who are in tricky situations, who have been trafficked, who have they give opportunities to women after all of these facts. They help them get out of tricky situations and then give them opportunities to like help uh, elevate them in their jobs. You know, post. Hell yeah. Post all of that. It's amazing. That's so cool. I love it. I love Aww. it. Just to wrap up the episode. I found a haunting poem that Brooke Slocum published on her DeviantArt account on March 27, 2014, which would have been four months before her murder. Mm-hmm. So it goes, I'm so tired of living and throwing my life away. I don't want to breathe or live another day. I'm going to shut my eyes now and hope they stay closed. I'm sick of life's story. I don't care how it unfolds. The medicine cabinet on the wall has never looked so good to me. Might as well try them all. Do different drugs taste differently? I'm curling into a ball and turning off the light. I'm over all this trying. I no longer want to fight. Please just take me away. To hell or heaven, I don't care. Do you want a slice of death? I'm willing to share. Bury me under a cherry tree on a hill somewhere. Put me in a white dress and lay flowers in my hair. No pastors, please. Have people come and cry. Let them wail and lament how I was too young to die. Oh, my God. That is so sad. I know. I, oh, what a cry. That is like I, I'm going to end this like... episode crying right now. <laughs> there, Yeah, there's so much pain from that poem. and Oh, Brooke. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine that kind of life. That would have been so hard. (laughs) You know, like what she was living through with Charles, just, you know, like getting pimped out and like trying to live on your own and like all of these things. I know. Man. And she was barely 18. Yeah, she had just turned 18. Oh, no. Oh, man. She still had a full life ahead of her. And to be writing that kind of poetry and I mean there's a few other poems that she wrote on her Devin art account that I was reading into that was pretty much one of them was about her relationship with Charles and it just sounded also kind of Stockholm syndrome as well with um, Charles yeah I can't remember the exact details of it but it was just saying like I don't know it was just giving some very 
raw moments into their lives. Like it almost felt like weird to be reading it as a just person passing by on the internet. Oh yeah, these intimate moments of their lives. That's what I was going for. Yeah. That was just talking about like all the fights and it just sounded like, I don't know, that she loved him like no matter what, no matter what fight unfolded. (sighs) Even over things that were really petty is what it sounded like. Like he would get mad about petty, tiny things that... Yeah, that sucks. And at that age, it's just like you don't really know what to do, so you just keep doing. You just say that things are going to be better. You're just going to create the best life that you can for you and your family. And that's what she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. That's all she wanted to do with her life. Oh, Brooke. She was a beautiful human being. Yeah. She did so many good things for other people. She really tried. It's heartbreaking what happened to her. It really is. Yeah. Mm. I know. Well, sorry on a sad note to end that on like a super... That is, yeah, it is a sad note, uh, but it's a haunting note. It's a haunting note. It is very haunting. And the next whole... week we'll have a a new haunting for you. We'll have a actually we'll have a cryptid for you next week. Ooh, ooh, cryptids are fun. Those are like creatures of lore. Yeah. Yes. Hauntings and creatures type of deal. Yay. Yes. So stay tuned for that. If you liked us. And, you know, you came back to us. That is amazing. If you are able to leave a review wherever that you're able to, or you listen to your podcast, that would be phenomenal. We would love that and appreciate that so much. That'd be great. Give us a like on Instagram, like on Facebook. You can follow us there. Send us a Gmail at your spooky neighbors. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We don't have a dark and stormy night to end on this time. (laughs) We are clear skies tonight. Yep. And we made it from last week. We're alive. Yay. We did. (laughs) Kind of. We're still, we're dying emotion, not emotionally. We're dying. uh, No, we're not dying. We're we're, okay. (laughs) we're, We're okay. We're fine. We're just slugging through. We're dying of heat stroke and we're gonna leave this room yes thank (laughs) you so much for listening we'll see you guys next week thank you bye bye